0: Welcome to the make life less difficult podcast. This podcast explores what it means to make life less difficult for each other. And for ourselves, we share stories of struggles and successes, because we believe sharing our stories eases the difficulty of life. I'm Lisa Tilstra, your host, let's jump into today's conversation. My guest today is Dr. Tom Tonkin. Tom is the co-founder and CEO of The Conservatory Group and a self-described recovering executive with over 25 years of business and technology experience. He's a firm believer in the power of sincerity and his philosophies offer a unique behavioral perspective on business, politics, relationships, and more. Tom holds a PhD in organizational leadership from Regent University and a Master of Science in Organizational Leadership from Regis University. He serves as the Dean of Students at the Sales Conservatory and is the Head of Strategic Accounts at SAMI Games, the first crowd crowd-sourced global solution for soft skills. Tom is also an award-winning researcher and author with several blogs, interviews, and articles focusing on leadership, diversity, equity and inclusion, learning and development, and sales acumen. Tom's also working on a book on sincerity. In our conversation today, we explore this idea of sincerity and also some of the differences between sincerity and authenticity. Tom shares how journaling became and stayed an important part of his journey and growth, and he shares pieces of his journey through difficult times, what he's learned along the way and how he desires to form a legacy for lasting impact. Tom, thank you so much for stepping into this conversation, sharing your stories and reflections, and offering your wise and sage advice. If you have been listening to any of my recent episodes, you may notice a bit of a trend of notices for some maybe uh, decreased audio quality, internet quality, etc. I'm on the go at the moment, and I have been recording podcasts in quite a few different locations as I live into the digital nomad life for a time. This particular episode my computer wouldn't connect to the Wi-Fi and we ended up recording the conversation on my phone which from a sound quality perspective worked out okay in my opinion better than expected, so that's the nice part. Tom was incredibly patient and gracious as I scrambled at the last minute to figure out my connectivity issues, which moments before we got on the call together had been working perfectly. So you'll hear as we jump into our conversation together, we are still chuckling a little bit about the imperfection of the situation the adaptability we embraced, and I am so grateful to Tom for his willingness. He was the one that said, well, let's just record on the phone, and he gave me the, uh, the little boost of, of courage and confidence to do that, uh, so I'm really grateful for that, and I'm also grateful to you, all of my listeners, for being on this journey with me. Thank you so much. Tom. Welcome to the Make Life Less Difficult podcast.
1: Lisa, thank you so much. Um, it can only go up from here, yeah.
0: It can only go <laughs> up from
1: here. <laughs>
0: Absolutely, what an amazing opportunity <laughs> to connect in the midst of imperfection. And that—that uh, that actually was my word, is my word for the year: imperfection. So I get to—I get to live into it and embrace it in so many different ways. So Tom. As we begin, I like to ask my guests this question about making life less difficult. What does it mean to you? And this comes from a quote by Marianne Evans, that is, what do we live for if not to make life less difficult for each other? And I'd love to hear from you. What does that mean to you?
1: You know, it's interesting. I, I hadn't heard the quote, and yet through my life, it seems that I've been trying to gravitate to that. You know, I, I, I am an academic at heart, and I lean in on research and and uh, the numbers and what it tells me because it gives me a what I believe it's a baseline. That's just who I am. I, I you know, if you take a look at any of those personality tests, I'm the one that's the analytical one that I pin the needle on that thing, uh, no matter what test. And w- what I find is that we are a composition of our experiences, and those experiences come in a couple of ways. Number one, they come consciously, and there's and number two, they come unconsciously. Consciously, again, going to the research, that's why I put it on the table. It's like at any given second or moment, we are conscious about 143 things that are happening. Okay. Lights, the, the warmth of the room, how we're sitting in a chair, the number, and I'm not necessarily sure how they got this number, but this is science. The number for unconscious is over 2 million things. Wow. Now, what's interesting about that is both those inputs, if you will, um, shape who we are, Mm -hmm. which means that a heck of a lot of stuff that we're unconscious is actually shaping who we are. The big punchline to trying to deal with unconscious things, everyone talks about unconscious bias, especially with all that going on. There's really only one way to do it, which is moving the unconscious to the conscious I can deal with it. And there's a whole bunch of ways of doing that. One of the ways that I've done it in the past and continue to do it is through journaling, yeah. right? Because here's the interesting thing: what happens in the past has happened, not going to change, nothing, you know. So you can go back and, and you write it down and you analyze it and you and you question it, and then you, when you look at it from a summary perspective or your perspective from from hindsight, it's like how did I get here? Like how, like what happened? Like what, yeah. why did I do this and how did I get here? And, and I'm not talking about, you know, maybe standard, you know, locations, for example, like yourself and your digital nom- nomadism um <laughs> happening, but your mindset, like how, how do you, how do you, why are you sad? Why are you happy? Why are you, you know, whatever. So let me give somebody a story and then we'll launch into my perspective of trying to make life easier so there was this lady that i was talking to many years ago and having i don't even remember and she looked kind of down and she had this ostentatious ring like you couldn't miss it and it, it's one of those things where you have to ask right it's like well that's a very interesting ring where where did you get that ring and she says well yeah i love this ring It's just a very special ring to me. Makes me so excited. (laughs) I was like, well, you don't sound excited. No. Um, That was just enough to me to poke at the reason for her unexcitement. That ring was a ring that she purchased from a friend who lost their husband recently. And this particular woman was trying to make ends meet. And she was selling, you know, costume jewelry. And this piece just happened to be the most expensive piece on the table. And Uh so this lady bought it. Didn't really care for it, didn't necessarily like it, but did it for that reason and that became a moniker. Okay, you're asking me about how to make people's lives um, better, less challenging. I, I like I like the term better or because um, and I don't want to like ruin your stick here, but from a, from Go a,
0: for it. from it. A, from, a,
1: from, a, from an NLP perspective, neurolinguistic programming, for those that are in that know this, the it, the brain works in certain ways. One of the things that the brain doesn't um, process is negatives. And so, you know, like for example, if I were to tell you, you know, don't think of a pink elephant. What's the first thing you do, right? You think of a pink elephant, you think about it, and go, well, okay, now I'm going to stop thinking about it. Well, you know, you, what we want to do is make life's people better, not less difficult, because nobody listens to the less and they think of the difficult. So I hope I didn't poo-poo on your title, but I always think of making life better for other people. Is this aspect of sincerity that I think I'd like to ground my ideas around sincerity. It's a, it's a, It's the work that I have been going on with... Um, writing a book towards it. I did a lot of research on it. It's taken years. I didn't even know it was going to take years. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, you just start, yeah. but it's really about other people. Sincerity is about other people. You cannot be sincere by yourself. Like you can't mm-hmm. sit in a room and go, I am now going to be sincere mm-hmm. without somebody else in the room. The minute you have that frame, you, you, you start being others centric. So let me pause there because I've been talking way too much. I want to get your ideas and thoughts as well and guide this conversation. And-
0: I'm, I'm excited to jump in. So um, try to think about, I have about a million and five questions for you. So where am I going to start? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit about your point of the less difficult and making yes. people's lives better. Um, you are not the first person. To say, like, man, I don't necessarily like like this less <laughs> difficult thing. I love it, right? Like, I love this, and and I love making people's lives better. Um, I prefer that to easier. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, I'll tell you. I'll tell you just real quick what resonated for me with the less difficult is that there are some things in life, and you mentioned this story about mm-hmm. a woman who had recently lost her husband. Um, I lost my first spouse and that was an incredibly difficult time. And honestly, Tom, there was nothing that could make my life easier during that time. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I could maybe say maybe the better, but that's even a stretch. There were so many people that made life less difficult for me during that time. And I, I want to hold both. And because I believe that there are so many things that we can be doing to be making life better. And I can do that for my own life and hopefully for the lives of others. And, and really at the heart of this, making life less difficult. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this is just the realization that there are moments and things that we can go through in this life that are, they're hard, they're difficult. And I don't know that they can be made better or easier, but they can be made less difficult.
1: You know, I mean, I, I understand. And I, I agree with your point. In in this context, and 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 I, and and I uh, respect it. You, the The other story that the w- when you were just saying this about your first spouse and the story I just told, and this idea that, you know, the reason again the punchline of that story was because she was other centric. It wasn't about you know the monetary exchange and trying to help out, yeah. our best, and still provide the pride that was going on uh, with this lady trying to make ends meet. Yeah, I did. I I, I'm not exactly sure how this all happened. So I'll just tell you the story and then we'll go from there. Yeah. But I I had an opportunity to be interviewed by the Mutual of Omaha folks and they did a video and it ended up on YouTube. And if you look for it, Mutual of Omaha, it's it's called the aha moment. And it was a pretty cool project that they were doing. They had this Airstream. uh, What do you call it? You know? trailer you know the stainless you know the bright stainless steel thing and it was built as this like state-of-the-art studio and it went from city to city to city to city kind of getting people to tell their story their aha moment and i got to to tell my aha moment and my aha moment was as follows um my wife uh contracted breast cancer in 2009 and up until they, things were, I mean, you know, getting the kids to soccer late was a problem. Yeah. <laughs> right. That, that was the biggest problem we faced. And mm-hmm. then this thing shows up. And, you know, prior to that, you could solve all of the problems, right? You know, whether you could, you know, buy somebody, you know, hire somebody to fix it or whatever, but this wasn't one that you could do. And it put me in an interesting situation. It put me in, an, in a situation where I needed help. I just needed help, I mean plenty money and all that, but I, I just needed help to function. I needed to take care of her. All of two thousand and nine was a big blur for me um, but my company helped my my boys helped um you know, everybody pitched in to help and I have to tell you, I wasn't used to being helped. <laughs> I'm the helper, I'm the one that does the helping, mm-hmm. and um, it was an interesting position to be in um and so, you know, you're talking about making life less difficult, right? It, it's sometimes there are people, including myself, who push that off, who, who don't, who feel uncomfortable as if they need. But so I am. So now this is 2015 when this video is taking place. And so I'm now in the in the Airstream studio with, you know, and they've got the lights and the camera and the lady is just firing questions off and they're just running things. And of course, I tell the story and it's very hard for me to tell this story without shedding a tear or two, even after all this time. And I ended up being um, a board member of something called the Rocky Mountain Cancer Assistance Agency. And I, by the way, for those that don't know, I I live in Colorado. So hence the Rocky Mountain part of the title. Um, In that agency, unlike many of the other You know, breast cancer, cancer agencies that do great work. What we do is we um, we generate money through charity and donations to pay people's bills. Period, rent, mortgage, food, (laughs) you know, whatever it is, right then and there. Because you have a lot of people who, if anybody has gone through that cancer issue, knows that it just it takes a toll on a whole bunch of people. Yes. And there's a lot of people that, you know, just don't have that kind of income. They, you know, they live paycheck to paycheck. And if they're not working, they're not pay- getting paid and and they can't pay the bills. And so I, you know, I joined and said, there's so many other people, you know, like research and all this other stuff, which by the way, is is wonderful. It has to happen. But one of the things that I came to the conclusion, because I mean, I was of financial means that I could do what I needed to do. Plus, I had a great support there's a bunch of people that didn't so i'm like this just all popped into my head right and so i went what what about the person that like you know the the single mom right the single mom that has two kids has to work three jobs to pay now she just can't like it's over right like there's no money coming that's what the agency does and it just goes out generates this money and says we are going to pay your bills until you can get back on your feet and do it i mean yeah, do we wish we could solve more of those kinds of problems? But, you know, right now where you need it the most, where you're incapacitated, you're a stage, you know, stage three, stage four, you're going through chemo. Chemo wipes you out. Yeah. You know, any anybody you're shot from this conversation knows what I'm talking about. Let's get you, let's let's make sure that you have a roof over your head that your kids are eating. And 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 you know, we'll worry about tomorrow when tomorrow shows up.
0: <laughs> yeah. What a huge gift to offer yeah. people, right? And, and so that, yeah. yeah.
1: I'm sorry. So, so it's like my point, just to put a a period at the, at the end of this is, you know, at the video, they, I mean, that's the story is that I came to this aha moment. They're saying, okay, so yeah, I, I've got this. And, and, and it was, I mean, look, it was emotionally the most difficult thing I ever do. I had, a, I, had a, I had a man who called me I, out of the blue. I don't know who he is. He never called me back. And he basically said the following thing to me right when he, because he had heard about this and I thought he was nuts. He says, it's the worst, you know, it, it's, it's something you wouldn't even wish on your worst enemy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And yet you'll be so glad that you went through it.
0: Wow.
1: And I was like, I've got no clue what you're talking about, man, because it really sucks. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> if I may say so. And here I am out of it. I mean, she's alive and well,
0: um, uh, and
1: um, and he's absolutely right. He is absolutely mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. So my point is the video was about that aha moment when I said, you know, there comes a time where we need, we just need help mm-hmm. from other people that we just can't do it. Something that would just kept and, and, and there should be no shame or, or no consequence to be able to call somebody, reach out and just ask for help. Yeah. Um, anyway, that was kind of the my moment and 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 that has driven my thought process as I move forward with all the other activities that I'm part of.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that, Tom. And I mean there's multiple things that are really meaningful there with the the organization that you have developed and is helping others. And also this shift from being in an incredibly difficult situation with your wife and cancer and then you know, years later, having the perspective to be like, wow. Um, And I'd love to hear just a few thoughts on what, what, what changed in you during the journey? Like, so when you look back and were able to say, oh, actually, I wouldn't necessarily change this journey. What, I mean, what, what was it that you were looking back on and what was happening to you that well, that's, yeah. that's,
1: that's that. That is, Lisa. That's a great question, and I am going to um ask permission that I may shed a tear to hear too. So, um you re- recall that earlier I said that I started journaling. Yeah. Ninety. So this thing all started in t- two thousand nine. So I sort of doubled up on that. I've got an eighty-seven pages of that alone, and wow. journaled everything and. It was very interesting because I had sort of a third person view of that because I'm in the middle of it. So I had my wife, me, and then there was this other me that was documenting it all because I said, I don't know what's going to happen, but I need, you you know, that's the beauty of journaling is if I journal, like when I journal, it's all like present verbs and stuff, like it's like do it Mm -hmm. when it happens, how it feels, everything that goes with it, because I don't want to forget it. Um, because sometimes you write it and you, you have sort of this, you know, like all of that sort of seeps away, right? It's like, I remember struggling and boy, that was really hard, but I pulled through and all this, there's none of that in this, right? There's, Mm -hmm. it is raw, it is mean. And, you know, this, this perspective that you're asking for me, a that then allowed me to to be retrospective. I mean, I still have it. I still I still have that journal. I still go back to saying when I have a bad day, and like I mean, a bad day is like I don't know the you know car breaks down right. It's like oh like you know I hate my life you know all this other stuff right. I go well hold on a second. <laughs> Let me flip back a few pages and find out what really matters. But um, what are the parts that actually so so that vividness in that journal and how I go back and relive it because those are my words at the moment, unfiltered, basically, certainly drew drew me closer to my wife. Mm. Um, You know, you're staying at the altar, you know, when you're young and, you know, you're thinner and good looking and, (laughs) and, because you've lost weight for the wedding. So you can, everyone can fit in their particular clothing and um, come on. Don't tell me people in the audience don't know what I'm talking about. Um, so, so you're having this and you have this beautiful bride and it's got this groom and it's beautiful. And then you're going to go off and all this other stuff. And on the altar, you say, you know, in sickness and in health. And are there words that you say? No clue, right? None whatsoever. What's around the corner? It's now time to cash in on those words. You know, it's time. And. Just to be perfectly clear, not a problem on my point whatsoever. I mean, it was never an issue. I, being the analytical person that I was, my brother-in-law sent me a book called, it's called The Breast Book. I don't know if that's the title, but it's like the seminal breast cancer book. It's like a thousand pages. And it's like anything you ever wanted to know about this. You know, he knew me, right? So boom, puts it in the mail, sends it to me. I'm eating it like for lunch. Um, I just dug in, knew everything. And I mean, I could tell you story after story after story about all of the things that happened, the mishaps, the challenges, the fact that different doctors are required to be part of this. Nobody shares data. So I'll I'll give you, I'll just give you a little microcosm. I had a cardboard box in my trunk um, of the car that had everything documented. I had dvds of mris blood tests x-rays <laughs> because i i just made it a big stink like people will all say oh no we'll give you a copy." you know like by the way anybody listening to this going through this you have the right to everything okay so don't have don't let anyone tell you they can't give you a copy of whatever they either don't want to they don't have time or whatever that's just bs just sit there and wait for it. But by the way, I have made lots of enemies or, or at least many people uncomfortable me sitting in the waiting room until they decided to give me what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got everything, stuck it in the cardboard box because guess what? The next thing we went to, they're going to say, well, we really can't do anything unless we have the, and I'm like, excuse me, what do you need? Yeah. The You know, the latest MRI and blah, blah, blah I'll catalog, Pulled it out of the box. Here you go. Oh wow! We never expected people. I know, I know you didn't expect people, but <laughs> I'm not people. So let's get on with it. Yeah. And I have to tell you, there's story after story after story of those those kinds of things. And like I said, it 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 you cash in on that and that vow, and it really means something. And you're thinking on how is it that you're going to get through all of this and figure it out. Um, and again. On the Other side of the thing, lots of people, like you said earlier, lots of people helping me too. And that's mm. the other thing. And 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 that was my again, fast forward to that video I was telling you about mutual of Omaha, right? That gave me a perspective to look back to say, Hey, you know something? This is okay. You got to go ask. Mm. Okay, there's a bunch of people out there. You know, if, if if you think I'm some kind of highfalutin dude that you know doesn't need help, well, you're wrong. Um, mm. because not only do I need help here, but there's other things that I never considered I needed help and I'm going to start looking for help. And I think there's a stigma, you know, sometimes to, you know, asking for help because maybe we're having a handout or it's other stuff. I, I don't think so. Not, not, you want to make somebody's life less difficult, help, however yeah. you can.
0: Yes. I, I mean, wow. I, that is, that resonates for me too. That challenge of realizing I do need to ask for help. Um and it really seems to be embedded in American culture as mm-hmm. you know, I've lived around the world and in different cultures. Some cultures are much more community oriented and it's just embedded in, um, what, what are your thoughts around, um, how, how do we kind of just, um, break through for those of us who have grown up either in American culture or other cultures that are, very independent and that's a value there there's great things that come from that value and how do we how do we kind of get over that resistance when it would be really beneficial and make life less difficult
1: to ask for help so uh, so i have to dive into the literature and in, in the research and, and lay out some groundwork so we can have this conversation but there was a gentleman his name was gert hofstead gert, gert hofstead um worked for IBM for many, many years. And one of the luxuries he had, and this was a, a thing that IBM um, kind of commissioned, was a cultural study across entire world and what makes cultures different and then quantify them. And by the way, anybody listening to this, Gert Hofstede, there's a, there's a free tool on the web if you want to compare different countries. And there are five dimensions. And the dimension that you're talking about is this idea of individualism versus collectivism. And there's all different scores, but let's just use the widest score, which is the the US and China. They probably have the widest score of individualism versus collectivism, meaning uh, the US high on individualism, low in collectivism. And again, in China, it's it's the opposite. Um, In the business world, we in the West have this idea of an employee engagement. I'm sure you've heard, you know, employee engagement's good or it's bad or it's high or it's low, it's whatever. Do you know in China there is no word for employee engagement? Interesting. There's it's not even a it's not even a thing. It's not they don't even have a word. And they have a very big language mm-hmm. because the concept of being an individual of some sort and that has any kind of value doesn't connect. And so Collectivism is very, very high there, where you have what's called um, power distance. Power distance is another academic term that basically says my superior, whether it be my boss or my father, whatever, right? That hierarchical view, they can do things better than I can, merely for that hierarchy. Here in the West, of course, we don't, right? We're very peer-oriented. We argue with our boss and all this (laughs) Well, in the east um and I think you probably have an appreciation for this um it's not that way it's it's not only not only can you do my job better than I can, but you can put my, your pants on better than I can and you know everything is better, so you have these two structures that make supporting each other in the fabric of the culture there's It's not even a thing that I've got to like go do like the question that you posed is a very Western question. How do we go do this? Like, stop doing what you're doing and go do this, where that's not even a thing. Um, you know, in, in, in China, there's a a, a cultural um, phenomena called Guan guanxin, I hope I pronounced it, all our Chinese listeners, I'm sorry. Um, I am very Western and white, so I apologize for that. <laughs> But I appreciate it because there is a, a tremendous amount of culture and it it's all revolves around sharing a meal and mm-hmm. all of the the accoutrements and the, the thing that goes with it. So I'm I'm just sort of I'm, I'm kind of painting a Bob Ross picture, right? I'm going really a little here, a little there, right? To give you a perspective of the fabric of the culture that allows that help to just manifest itself, where here we don't have that fabric. Um, and so therefore it becomes a, a different thing that we have to go do. The fact that I would even have to be on a video talking about the fact that people need help is just, it, it, that would just never play well. Right. It's, it'd be like if somebody got on the video and said, you know, I just figured out that one plus one equals two. And you know, your <laughs> mind would be blown, right? Yeah, <laughs> yes. It would be the same thing. So you know, how do how do we do that? I, I, th- I think we have, have, to have an appreciation of the fact that we have some headwinds in our culture. When I say that, I'm talking about sort of social norms mm-hmm. and the values of those social norms to allow us to be humble to ask, but also be humble to serve. And yes. I think we're kind of we might be losing that right now in the West yeah. anyway. Yeah.
0: No, it's a, it's a very. Uh, tricky dynamic. Yeah. Tom, I I would be curious to hear more about your journey of journaling. And you said, I think it might've been before we started recording, but 1996 was when you started journaling. And this has been a significant part of your journey. And I would be curious, what what prompted you to start journaling in
1: 1996? Um, you know, I pause because I'm thinking about it because I don't quite remember. Um, because how I journal now is not how I journal then. I mean, that, there's, a, there's an aspect of maturity that occurred okay. over that time um, and, and, and use. At least I got to tell you, I don't, I don't quite remember what got it. I mean, maybe somebody gifted me a journal or we had a conversation about it. Um, but at first it was very cathartic. In the sense that it was kind of a displacement of my thoughts and emotions away from my ideas. Hmm. One of the things that that and, and and this is funny and scary at the same time. I do believe that my memory is not as good as it used to be, and and I mean that in a more sort of material way. And 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 I I I lean a lot on writing things down hmm. because you know, and and part of it too is the research basically is very clear to say. Look, your brain's made to think, not to store stuff. So, you know, if if you're thinking to store stuff, you're you're gonna it's a losing battle. So just get it out of there. But what happened to my maturity is I started as a journaling, and I kind of just journaled, and it was kind of like a letter to myself, kind of a thing. Um, I'm also a spiritual, religious person, so I have spiritual journals as well, um, talking to God and writing to God. Um, one of the things I also did was very interesting. Was I journaled? I, w- I was a sales rep in a, in a large software company, and 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 my claim to fame was I sold new products. So the product was built brand new. No one's ever sold it. No one's ever done anything. Give it to Tom. Let him figure it out. Okay. And. I mean, it was, not, it was, I mean, it sounds like really cool and everything It was not, it was not fun. <laughs> <It> was trying, <laughs> right, I mean, like, reinventing <laughs> crap all the time, right? It's like, so, um, but what was happening was that every time I would do it and then finally sell something and, and be successful, then somebody would go, okay, now, now teach everybody how to do it. So then we'll just go in full force and do it. I knew that this was happening and I knew that I would make mistakes and I had that You know, I was telling you earlier about how people tell their their journey, right, their story, their struggles, excuse me, from rag to riches. But they are, you know, but they're telling it from the rich perspective, right? Like they were like, as I sit here on my gold throne, I remember struggling, you know, in the streets. Um, It's just not compelling. So I decided to journal my selling strategy Mm. and with the mistakes, too. But of course I didn't know there were mistakes. So he wakes up and go, today I'll make a mistake. No, we, we don't know their mistakes until after the fact. And so I, I, I journaled everything and then I presented it like that. And it, it was really, really well received because of the, the, the different turns or I would question, like before I turned to the next slide, I said, what do you think I did next? And mm-hmm. people would say, "Well, I would call this person," and I would sit there and go, "I did, and look what happened. It blew up, and it didn't work." <laughs> and you know, <laughs> um, and he's like, "Well, that's what I would have done." I'm like, "I know, so don't do that, right?" That, you know, that right? All of the the emotions were all emoting <laughs> during right. the presentation. Um, and so what I've done, or and, and, and one more one more piece of this is I am, I am I'm a qualitative researcher as well qualitative research is some, someone that goes out and interviews people and codes the the text into some findings so i ended up doing this thinking this is a massive qualitative study on my life wow right and so then you go back and you read it and you try to have a second person view of the mm-hmm. journal it's hard Meaning that disassociated view of like, let me review Tom's journal and see what he's done. You know, oh, bad boy. You shouldn't have done that. Whatever. Right. So the idea is you look at it and go look at all these mistakes. What's going on? What's the underlying thing? How was I feeling? You know, all that other stuff. And you just get better at how you document your life Mm -hmm. to become in a better place and have a retrospective of that. Mm -hmm. So. Not quite sure exactly how I started, have matured over time, have split journals into multiple uses. Um, I, I And, and so I, I the reflection piece of it, and I think for those that are listening, we're recording this at the end of August. Lisa had a very interesting gentleman on, I'm sorry, Dave.
0: David Corfield.
1: Yeah, so... After you're done listening to this phenomenal episode, um, <laughs> go back to Dave's episode and listen to him because there is some very tangential uh, points that he made as well into in, – in, and I won't steal his thunder on that, but I, I was very moved in, in that episode as well. And that's one of the reasons that I've done what I've done is in the sense that it has helped me in in, in the input, in the analysis, and the output – of the, of the journal itself
0: yeah. i would be curious because i run into people who do journal um, and i run into people who um, are resistant to journaling i'm somebody who i different times in my life i've got journals and then i go on big hiatuses from journaling um if there's somebody listening and they're interested in journaling would you step into a little bit of the potential nuts and bolts, right? And, and it can look mm-hmm. different for, for different people, but would you reflect sure. a little bit on the nuts and bolts and maybe even, you know, where you are now and what you feel like is so
1: beneficial? So so one of the things that I'm going to do is I'm going to redefine the term journaling. because mm. I think that's, that term kind of got hijacked by, you know, Hallmark or whoever, right? yes. whoever sells, right? <laughs> one of the things I remember early, early in my life was I so I, I get this journal and I'm journaling and then it's over and and now I'm like okay I'm like so into it I'm like I'm a pro so I'm gonna buy this beautiful beautiful journal paper journal it has all the dates printed and it's got like fun pictures and it's got a place it's got a certain set of lines and all so then you're like so so you journal and it's like okay I fill this page up. I've got more to say, but you stop, right? Because Mm. you filled up the page Mm. and then the next day you're, I don't know, you're sick or you forgot it or whatever. And now you've got this blank page and it's like, oh, you've ruined the journal because it's not full. And it's the next, it's like, you forgot the date. And so I got all wound up on that. Mm. And I was like, this is like no fun now. This is like, it's not a thing anymore. It's like, so you know so then i moved to just a notebook just plain white line paper you know and you just wherever you stop you start the next day or whatever day you start and you start filling all of a sudden that felt good because sometimes it was a paragraph sometimes it was five pages whatever it was right and you just kept going and going and going and i'm just filling the stuff left and right feeling um now mind you I, I will tell you that um i i am a fountain pen enthusiast oh so there's a little bit of you know, flair <laughs> to what it is that I do. I enjoy it. I get to use my fancy fountain pens and my inks and all this other stuff. So there's a part of that that says, but I will also tell you that I do a lot of journaling online as well. And, and I have journaling applications and um, that are really cool. Um, no affiliation to anything I do, but I use something called Day One, probably the premier journaling app out there. It's got all sorts of really cool journaling features, if you will um and what's cool is is it's one of those things that the more you fill it, the more useful it becomes also hmm. because um you start seeing patterns, or hmm. like for example, in day one, the app it'll come up and i've been I've been in that app for about twelve years now Wow. Um, So I have 12 years worth of stuff in there. And it comes back and says, four years ago, this is what you said on this Uh, day. Super interesting. Right. And all of a sudden you read it and you're like, and remember how I told you I journal, right? It's all in the present tense and all of Mm -hmm. the veracity and the craziness that's going on in my life gets embedded in this page. Mm -hmm. So I'm reading this going, whoa whoa, who's this guy, right? He's out of his mind, right? So you get this an appreciation of maturity and growth that goes with it. So, and and it allows you to take pictures and put the pictures in the journal and you can do a little collage things. You can do outlines, you can link to other stuff. You know, you can do a bunch of really interesting things. So your journals sort of come alive a little bit. That's right. Cool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in the, in the world of electronics and digital and typing and stuff, I mean, that seems where people are headed to. Um, but I I still do have paper journals and 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 you know, and there's like I said, there's a, a part of, you know, kind of Hemingway-ish, kind of mm-hmm. a you know, of, you know, sitting back drinking, you know, um, you know, an old fashioned watching the waves splash as I talk about my memoirs. You know, there's some yes. romance, <laughs> you know, that comes from that as well that I enjoy. But you know, for those that's starting is don't go don't go for the fancy you know, pre-printed date thing. Mm. As a matter of fact, I would go very, you know, if you're, a, if you're a hand person, enjoy that notebook with a pen, plenty, right. And mm-hmm. just write until you're done. And what does that mean? It's, it's the same as how long is a piece of string, right? So however long mm-hmm. it needs to be, right. So, um, and then you're done and then just pick it up next time. And you'll, and, then you know, my, my advice is to write it in that present tense kind of thing. If you're an electronic type of person, look, use, nope, you know, whatever, you know, use word, use whatever, there, there's no need to go get a special app until you have an appreciation for it. Um, um, but you know, anything to get that stuff out of your head.
0: I, I appreciate that. Cause there is such, um, I know for myself how things can get stuck in my head. And I have had moments when I'm writing or typing, I go back and forth myself, where I, I ask a question on paper, and then next thing I know, I'm writing a possible answer. And it's almost like magic. And I'm like, wait. <laughs> what did that?
1: Happen? Well, again, it goes back to that whole conscious, unconscious, the formation of your of your experiences and who you become and. And you know that answer might have been in your head, and it wasn't. You know, your conscious had to go get it out of your unconscious to to put it on there. And you know that that happens a lot um, in, in 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 these very sort of you know cathartic moments. The the other thing too is what I find interesting is so again, this is a little bit of neuroscience. So, I mean, you know, the brain is not created to store anything. Right? It's it's created to think about things, um, and then done right it's once it's think it's done it's interesting there's a book by daniel pink called when i think yeah when and um and there's a subtitle to it but in there he talks about sleep and how important sleep is and how it how it manifests itself in all of this sort of thinking and he goes the best way he could describe it and this this will make sense to hockey fans but i'll explain it is it's like a Zamboni for your brain. For those that are hockey, fan, uh, not hockey fans, a Zamboni is the big machine that goes out and smooths out the ice, yes. you know, so it, it, you know, you've got all the grooves And the, I mean, even like, you know, ice these ice skating shows, you know, these, whatever the Walt the Disney Olympics. ice skating, the Olympics yeah. and stuff, oh, right? Yeah, this, ice, yeah ice skate pays, that kind of thing. Right? <laughs> so you got this big, huge machine that goes out and kind of smooths all the edge. That's what sleep does for your brain, right? It's like mm-hmm. the Zamboni for your brain. It's like, Cleans it out, smooths it out, you know, for the next day to be do that, to to do that. But um, the idea of getting things out of your head, writing them down. um, And then, like you said, right, once you're sort of in that mode of sort of asking that question um, and just let your brain answer it, that's one of the things, by the way, that if I have a problem, that's the last thing I'll think of before I fall asleep. Mm. Because your brain will go and try to solve it.
0: It's going to be working unconscious on it sleep,
1: and you wake up in the morning, and it'll be like, "Huh, okay, that's what that's what I need to do."
0: That's brilliant. And I think about all the times that I put off sleeping because of a problem. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, if sleep is the part of the solution.
1: It, I mean, um, it is because again, the the sleep is that Zamboni that goes out and does the smoothing of your conscious and unconscious. We already talked about the numbers around the unconscious. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff in there that yeah. we can go get. Yes. Because th- here's the thing that uh, people have to understand, and this is, goes back to, um, I, I should have warned everybody they should have a pen and paper because I'm going to write this stuff down. But there's a, a type of therapy called it's called ACT and it stands for that. I can't remember what the therapy is. I, I, I have a therapist. I've, I had two therapists and one of them practiced ACT. And he talks about this idea that your brain works by addition, not by subtraction. Mm-hmm. So any thought, every thought that you've ever had in your entire life still is in your brain somewhere. It, it's not you. When people say, well, no, Tom, I forgot. No, no, no. You lost access. That's what's what's really happening. It's not like it like fell out or something you don't know it anymore because you knew it once and so one of the things that that i i say to people is you know that that's going to happen you're going to lose access for whatever reason so what what it does is 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 journaling allows you to let go of that both good and bad I mean, like, let's take for example something bad in your life or some big messy problem in your head. Well, you're just going to churn. You're going to you're going to rethink it, and 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 it's going to get worse. And like all the possibilities, like your brain is really good about coming up with all these terrible things that'll never happen. Yes. Um, I don't know if anybody is a big fan of Alfred Hitchcock when he used to make mm-hmm. his movies, the scary movies, probably some of the still the scariest movies in the world. And he was, had an interview. If anybody has ever seen like, um, uh, you know, the birds or anything like that, those, those movies, the old, old movies that he produced, he basically said, I cannot scare you more than you can scare yourself. Interesting. So I'm going to take you there. And then I'm just going to leave you there. (laughs) I'm not going to like, if you remember, you know, um, my goodness, you know, Norman Bates, whatever that movie is called, it, I'm losing my mind.
0: I'm not brave enough to watch it. Psycho, movies. Psycho.
1: I'm
0: not, yeah, I'm not brave enough to watch it.
1: No, so so, so, Psycho, right? So Psycho has Norman Bates killing the young, young lady, we think, because all we see is her shadow silhouette. And then the last scene you see is the because she's in the shower and he kills her in the shower. All we see is the water running down into the drain and then the little bit of the red uh-huh. mixed in there. And that's all we see. Right. So all of a sudden you're like, uh, your, your brain just goes haywire. It's like what and butchered her and all this crazy stuff. And you he didn't show you any of that. Where some of these slasher movies that you, that are now coming out where you see, you know, chainsaws get cut people's heads off. It's like, yeah. You know, yeah. my brain would have made that heck of a lot more scary. It doesn't even look real, right? It's just like, <laughs> so, so my, my point is there's all of this stuff happening and we know, if we understand it, we could take advantage of it. Mm. Um, and like I said, this idea that your brain is, is, is um, only it, is it works by addition, never by subtraction. How do I then deal with those things that I don't want to deal with anymore? Um how do I stop thinking about bad things or how do I stop thinking about the thing that's probably never going to happen, but boy, it's happening vividly in my head, mm-hmm. you know, because that's part of the writing down process, right? It's like, stop storing that because you're mm-hmm. bad at storing it, write it down. Then mm-hmm. it goes away. Right. And then, and you can just sort of move on or just notice it, mm-hmm. you know, just that's part of the ACT the therapies. It's just like, you've got this thought terrible thought whatever it is just notice it and then just let it go
0: and it's really powerful right and it sounds it sounds so simple and yet it really works and i i can't help but make a little bit of a connection to quantum physics where (laughs) when you when you observe uh, an electron and it, it changes it right it changes the nature of it and i i like to imagine.
1: i have never heard that before but that is a <laughs> really good example
0: yeah, I, that yeah, it, yeah that
1: is a podcast onto itself
0: well, I mean, yes. yeah we should explore that um next time no i think that's really powerful and i i'd love from here time i'd love to lead into Hearing you share about legacy, um, this is something that I just think is, regardless of how old or young we are, I think that this, I think that legacy is important to reflect on. And and I know you mentioned that this is something that's really important to you. So I'm going to stop talking and would just love to hear um, what. Well, this yeah, I mean, you and I. You.
1: You and I spoke before we hit record and, and, and that came out as legacy has turned into sort of a, a mission for me right now. I don't know why. Maybe it's just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm approaching the big six zero, um mm-hmm. and you start reflecting on like, what are you going to do and how are you going to leave it? And, you know, it starts with work. It's like, you know, are people going to benefit from whatever I did at work? Yeah. OK, fine. That's great um but it really turns into you know personal and family and heirlooms and you know am i someday you know move on from this world you know uh, what's going to happen well all that stuff that's meaningful isn't something that you could do like oh i'm about to die let me write it down it'll be great you know you it has to be something that gets nurtured and, and moved on um and it's been very prominent in my life as of recent and again so we're we're having a very very transparent podcast uh it'll be two weeks actually it, it was two weeks today that my father passed away
0: oh wow Sorry. um
1: yeah now he was 86 um lived a good life but it was it just was one of these things that was healthy his whole life and then i think in june he got uh, diagnosed with a uh, bladder cancer and then they went to diagnose more and then he had lung cancer And then he finally said, look, I'm done. I don't don't poke prod in me anymore. I'm just going to pack it in. And um, he he wrote. um, He wrote or he didn't probably his wife did um, wrote his obituary. Mm. Um, I have to tell you, I wasn't very impressed (laughs) with it. It read more like a resume and i was like hmm first of all that is, that is that is who he was i mean he was a he was a work hard play hard kind of guy be number one type of person um but it read like a resume and i thought to myself it kind of left me kind of empty and said well i don't want that to be me <laughs> right mm-hmm. um you know it's this the whole obituary was about you know his all his professional accolades, which are many by the way um but you know nothing really about what he did in family and grow and any kind of legacy that left behind so i thought hmm this kind of put it more in my forefront of what if that were to happen to me what would happen and so there's there's a reality here. I mean, um, you know, I, he's my first parent I lost. My mother is uh, unfortunately in a home; she has Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. so that's kind of a loss as well because she's certainly not the same person that I grew up with. Yeah. Um, so you you start thinking about these things, you, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 you say, well, what are you, what what are you going to do? <laughs> and whatever that is, you probably need to start doing it now. So I, I think. Um, you know, those that are younger and that your parents, like my kids, right? My kids are, they're not thinking like this, um, nor, nor should they, but at the same time, it's like, are are, do you really have that end goal in mind or are you just doing life? Like every time you walk in, you know, you like today, all this stuff come at me and then I'm just going to prosecute all that stuff and then I'll go to sleep and do it again. And, mm-hmm. you know, does that add up to anything? And, and that's the question I keep asking myself and if the answer is no then stop and go do something that does
0: so what is at this point and and i realize this may change with additional reflection but if you're willing to share what is the legacy that you would like to leave
1: well i think the, the there's a couple you know things i i have a personal uh vision and mission statement that i look at and review and 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 my vision, and I'm very particular about it, but but the way I define vision, and I actually teach people how to do this by the way, but basically think of vision as how what does the world look like when you're doing your thing?
0: Mm.
1: Like what's the evidence that that the work that you can claim that say because of something I did, whatever that is, this is happening. And so we talked about breast cancer earlier. Susan G. Coleman um, is another institute that I'm familiar with. Their vision statement is a world without breast cancer yeah. that's their, That's their thing. It's kind of like working yourself out of a job, right? It's like, yes. once this happens, it's very vivid, you can see it, right? You can feel it, and until that is here, I'm going to do whatever it is that I'm going to do. Excuse me, then the mission part is, what are you going to do? Because you can't a world without breast cancer is going to require all sorts of things, but you can't do them all. But what mm. are you going to do, Susan G. Komen? And they basically says we are going to fundraise for research. That is our that's mm. that's our lane. And by the way, that's where I kind of took. If you go back to the earlier story about the Rocky Mountain Cancer Assistance, I was thinking, okay, they're doing the research and stuff. Who's paying the bill today? Like people have yeah. cancer now. <laughs> What are we doing about that now? And that's when I'm like, okay, you got that part. We'll figure this part out. Um, And so, what's my legacy? Well, my legacy is the fulfillment of the vision. And the vision for me is all my friends, family, and coworkers thriving in life. And then the mission is um, making sure that they thrive. And thriving to me means um, doing what they love, uh, helping society. And getting paid for it. And so what do I then do to make one or more of those things happen? Well, I provide opportunities, coaching, mentoring, teaching, financial need, if that's required, whatever those things are for that circle. So as I look into my through my prism of my friends, families, and and coworkers, I see them all being happy serving society right yeah. and and doing um and getting paid for it mm. and so once you see that you can go like check <laughs> right?
0: like yeah how beautiful i love the way that you um make the distinction for vision and mission too it's really clear and helpful to have it in those yeah
1: concepts. so the vision is the vision statement's not a statement it's a story mm. right so everyone thinks of statements right? like i do this at I do this with executives, like they want to come up with. And then you know, sometimes there's these vision statements are like ridiculous, right? They're like, "We are going to make the world a better place to live," and you're like, "What the heck do you do?" Yeah, right. You don't even what know that? what you're right. It's terrible, right? So I work with people to be a little more clear and specific about what that vision is, and and be tang- you know, tangible. Like like, how do I know that that is what's happened? Mm-hmm. Like, where's, like, where's the, you know, the sheet, the the spreadsheet that says, yep, good job, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And and for me, like I said, it's like I can look at my family and see, right? I can know what makes them happy. I, I know how they can contribute to society, and I know that they can get paid for it. And so what are the things that I need to do to make sure that all three of those things happen for each one of them? And then, hopefully, the legacy then becomes you know, Tom Tonkin did these things to me so I can fulfill that vision.
0: Beautiful, beautiful.
1: Yeah, It's a work in progress, but you know.
0: <laughs> uh, well, aren't, aren't we all a work in progress? <laughs> I appreciate you being willing to share um, the work in progress right now with us here. Um, Tom, before we go to wrap up our conversation, I'd love to hear, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, uh, the book that you are writing, you um, and you, you had shared with me that the theme really of this book is sincerity. Um, can you tell us a little bit about where that theme came from? And uh, I can. When, when can we uh, anticipate reading your book?
1: Yeah. Well, I, it's you know, you know how publishers are. They don't actually want a book. They want, they want you to tell them how you can sell a book, and then they want a the book. <laughs> um, so I'm in the middle of that.
0: <laughs> Good luck
1: with that. Um, yeah. Thing. So. I was all in on authenticity, like authenticity this. We all have to be authentic. This is authentic food. This is authentic, authentic, authentic. So I decided to dive in. This is uh, for those that didn't catch. I, I, am, I have a PhD in organizational leadership. And so um, when I went through the study, even before the program and during the program, I was studying authenticity and everything that went with it. And did, did all sorts of actually won an, uh, a conference award one time. Um, in orlando for writing about authenticity blah 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 right wonderful i have to tell you something every time i i, I did i finished a project i was less convinced mm-hmm. that authenticity was good for relationships because mm-hmm. that's where my head was like this construct is going to help us be better at relationships and then i would do it again and, and heck i mean it got to be the point where it's like okay well it's dissertation time right and i've been studying this and so Finally, like, what's the thing that is not authentic? like what's the th- what's the not necessarily the opposite because I don't want the opposite. I want something that is. So I, I ask myself, what's what's my beef right, with with authenticity and authenticity is what's called self-referential. You, Lisa, will be the only person on the planet that knows how authentic you are or not. There's nothing. I mean, I could speculate. You could sort of tell me things I could observe, but I'll never really know. While sincerity is other centric. So that's where I went. I went down that path. Now I wrote that in 2014, 13, 2013. One of the inspirations that I got for this was a book called Authenticity and Sincerity, written by Lionel Trillian in 1972. Wow. And his position was we need to stop being sincere, be more authentic. Okay. So I, it, I do believe that it's one of these things where somebody will read my dissertation in my book 50 years from now and say, you know, Tom got it all wrong. You know, we're going to flip it again. And, you know, life goes on. But that was, that was the journey to get there. Um, and, you know, defined it, got an assessment, did all the rigor behind it. And now I'm turning all of that into a more of a sincerity manual.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: Right. Where, actually like you read it and you have questions and exercises and stuff to make you think and go do mm. um because I don't want this to be sort of this thing that you hang on your wall or you put in your bookshelf and it's kind of this trophy book it's like oh this is great I it to have I it to have coffee stains on it stuff like that that you could nice. actually have used in notes and rip pages because you've been using it
0: nice well I am excited and I feel like we need to um, go ahead and schedule to, you to come back for another conversation because this idea of authenticity and sincerity—I'm extremely intrigued and have been having conversations around this because I, I, I for a long time was all about authenticity and we need to be more and more authentic. And then somewhere along the line, I realized actually you know you don't want my truly authentic self showing up because today you know where my authentic self is it's laying on the couch <laughs> and, and i not need a to very useful
1: authentic and, you know, self, right?
0: yeah. i need to show up for work and i need to be there for my clients and yep. so i like that sincerity um because i can you know well my The core of my authentic self would really be on the couch, but my sincere self, I wanna show up, I wanna do a good job, I wanna make a positive impact. So I really. And the good news
1: is, I mean, I think there's a place for authenticity. Um, And the good news is, we can get better at both of those things. Mm. Um, That's the other part, right? I mean, you can measure many of these things, you can get better at many of these things. Sometimes they sound a little abstract and wonky and kind of academic y. it it does have roots in academic because I mean arguably it has to have that rigor um but it certainly can be very operational and the and the ability to be you know use it as a practitioner and become better, which again you're asking you know the punchline of this how can we make things less difficult is my contribution will be how can we all be more sincere therefore have better relationships
0: beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Tom, I am so grateful to have you on, and I would love for you, I'll, I'll put links to your website and other, you've mentioned some other resources and things, um, but would you, in, in if someone to reach, wanted to reach out to you, um, put in your own words um, what you do and the best way for someone to reach you?
1: Yeah, so, uh, you know, one of these things that I do in sort of the, the twilight of my career is I do whatever I feel like doing, um, but... Um, I, I do help uh, salespeople become better salespeople, uh, partially because I think the whole there is what I can contribute. Um, I also do diversity, equity, inclusion stuff. I used to do it before it became a cool thing to do. Um, and I obviously do coaching and, and, manage, you know, and, and uh, management consulting and, and those kinds of things. Um, my sort of party trick would be if you go to Google and type in Tom Tonkin, my first page is of google returns is me doing something so feel free to click on one of those things i'm easy to find i'm on linkedin and twitter you know all the regular places garden variety social media stuff
0: great and we'll put links to all of that in the show notes perfect tom this has been delightful to spend this time with you thank you so much for sharing very sincerely
1: (laughs) well thank you lisa and um, have your wonderful day too